Uh, Matthew chapter 11 is where we're going to be in just a moment. And it'll be an interesting Advent passage for a couple of reasons. The first reason is, is we hear the words of Jesus in this passage. And to the one who is locked in on Advent, uh, we say, well, he's not been born yet. <laughs> and uh, and this, is, this is true if, uh, if semantics win, which for me they often do. Um, today, our main character is John the Baptist. John the Baptist is someone that we were introduced to last week. If you were here, Taylor led us in a conversation about repentance and this difference between self-pity and self-empathy and allowing God's love to allow us to be empathetic towards ourselves and one another um, rather than just hold a posture of, of woe is me, woe is me, but his love actually allows us to at the same time know that we have room to grow but not allow any kind of pity to hold us back from that growth which is an important distinction. And he led us in that conversation where John the Baptist was in the wilderness baptizing people. Today we find John the Baptist in a different scenario. So with that in mind, if I could read uh, Matthew chapter 11, verses 1 through 11. After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee, when John, we're referring to John the Baptist, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No. Those who wear fine clothes are of king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes. I tell you, and more than a prophet, this is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. Truly I tell you, among those born of woman, there is not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. There are a lot of different directions that we can travel with this passage. We get, once again, a glimpse of what the kingdom of heaven is like when we read Jesus say, um, the first will be last and the last will be first, in a sense. We've heard Jesus say that before when, it, when he talks about the kingdom and how people line up in the kingdom. But once again, I want to focus in on John the Baptist, who last week was baptizing and this week is in jail. <laughs> and we don't get a lot about John the Baptist in the scriptures. 
Uh, we don't get a lot from him at all. I wish we got more because when I read him or about him, I uh, find myself really liking him uh, because I, so here's a weird thing. I can put myself in his shoes easier than I can put myself in Jesus's shoes because it was John the Baptist's role to point people to Christ, which is our job. Our job is not to point people to us, ourselves. Our job is to point people to Christ. And so it's a lot easier for me to relate to John the Baptist because that's what he did. Of course, Christ pointed people to himself. Who else could do that but him? Um, And yet at the same time, we are called to be Christ-like. It's a very interesting thing, which is why I like John the Baptist. But what I'd like to do is I'd like to give a very, very quick overview of what we know about John the Baptist from the scriptures. And it begins in the Old Testament. We read about John the Baptist being talked about in books like Isaiah, which Jesus quotes here. Um, Actually, he's quoting Malachi, but Isaiah as well. When we read about someone who is being sent forth into the wilderness, we are learning about John the Baptist. So well before John the Baptist ever comes into the earth, he is being talked about. Prophets are hearing these words from God and sharing them with others. We then read about John the Baptist as a not-yet-born child in Luke chapter 1. Exciting stuff where Elizabeth, who ends up being the father of John the Baptist, is, what did I say? I meant mother. (laughs) Zechariah is the father. And Mary who just found out that she is going to give birth to the Messiah, runs over to Elizabeth's house and says, you know, shares the news. And we read in Luke chapter 1, verse 41, that John the Baptist, who was not yet born from Elizabeth, leaps inside of the womb at the sound of Mary's voice. Um which is why we call John the Baptist uh, a a patron saint of joy, which is also why we lit a pink candle instead of a purple one, because to the church, to us, pink means something a little bit different than the other three. When we talk about joy rather than hope or waiting or expectation, it means something different. And maybe you've connected the dots already that we're talking about joy and someone in prison. This is exciting stuff, Advent week three. So he leaps inside the womb. We don't hear from him again until he's in the wilderness baptizing people, eating honey and locusts. Um, This week he's in jail. And he's unsure of if Jesus is the Messiah And if we were to talk about him next week, the only other chapter worth talking about is him being killed. Um, So this is the arc that we get of John the Baptist's life as the scriptures tell us. He was expected. He was excited. He was prophetic. He was imprisoned. He was unsure. And then he was dead. That is all we get from John the Baptist. 
but I'd like to talk about this week. This week, he's in jail. This week, he is sending his disciples to Jesus and asking, are you the one is to come, or should we expect someone else? Exciting thing about this, and maybe you've already came to this conclusion on your own. What this means is that the one who was prophesied about, the one who had a physical reaction to the um, voice of the mother of Jesus, the one who baptized with water but prepared a way for the one who would baptize with spirit and fire, the same one who saw the heavens open up when he baptized Jesus, the same one who directed his disciples to follow Jesus when he passed by them, is now questioning the reality of the Messiah. How about that resume for John the Baptist? He was talked about as, going to be, as being the one who was going to be the first in on the story of the coming Messiah. He was going to be the one who would tell people about the Messiah. He was the one who, when hearing the voice of the, the mother of the Messiah, has a physical reaction. He baptizes people. Good news to the poor, in many ways, is first shared through John the Baptist. And it is him who is questioning. It is him who is wondering why. And I would like to present to you this morning that the reason why is because of his present circumstances. Dude was in jail, right? <laughs> Someone whose resume was so clean, who had everything going for him on knowing for sure, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that this was going to be the Messiah, the person who baptized the Messiah is now unsure. And I would suggest that it's because of his present circumstances. So allow me to ask two questions to us. The first one is this. Have we or do we ever allow our present circumstances to distract us from the reality of Christ's presence and work in the world around us? I can say for sure that I have done that. I have allowed my present circumstances, and this is what it does, if we allow our present circumstances to, to look inward. Let me put this down. Our present circumstances continue to make us look inward at ourselves. And the more that we are looking inward, it doesn't prevent us from being able to look outward, but it distorts our vision when we look outward. So we, think, we, we see things differently. When the world is falling in on me, it is easier for me to think that the world is falling in around me. When it seems like everyone is against me, it seems as though now when I look out that everything is against what I would rather be happening around me. It distorts our vision. So one of the tensions that we face as Jesus followers is having this relentless belief that God is good all the time, and all the time God is good, and bad stuff happening. <laughs> That's the tension. 
and it truly is a remarkable tension. And the church helps us, and, and the body of Christ helps us. And having these kinds of conversations help us. It's because if there's anything that the church has said over the last hundred years, God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. Even when you're in jail, <laughs> that's what John the Baptist is experiencing, and it causes him to question. You may have been tempted before when stuff is really going wrong to ask, is God even real? Legitimate question that we see asked in the scriptures by people like King David. Where are you? Is he here? Is God even among us? Once again, because of present circumstances. A second question, can it be possible for God to be present and active in the world and still experience suffering? The answer is yes. And Jesus' answer says yes. John's question and Jesus' answer reveal to us that suffering can happen alongside of Christ's restorative work. Here's an aside, which is why I'm moving to the side of the podium. So, this is where we need to do the work of making sure our language is faithful to that reality when things do, in fact, go wrong. I got to tell you that it is a really, really hard sell to say that everything happens for a reason. That's a hard sell. Another hard sell is um, how do I phrase this? Is saying that everything is happening by God's timing. So could I present to you that God never wants someone to die? Could I present to you that the creator of people <laughs> who created and then recreated after sin entered the world so that we could have eternal life, and could I suggest that his promise of eternal life and the reality of eternal life is also God saying, I don't want people to die. So it's a hard sell when there's suffering going on around us and we are to say, this is God's plan. Am I saying that God can't use suffering? No. But does he cause suffering? Those are two different questions. And for the sake of getting really long-winded, if you want to have an actual conversation about that, please let me know, because it's an important one. Um, okay, back to the content. 
so I want you to wonder with me for a moment. You're John, the Baptist, and you're in prison, and you have sent your disciples to go ask Jesus if he's the Messiah. And you ask because you're curious and you're not sure. And then your disciples come back. And they come back and they say, hey, John, you know, we asked Jesus exactly what you wanted us to ask, but he didn't give us an answer. He didn't give us a clear, definitive answer. He just said what he's done. And he has just kind of repeated to us what we've seen him do and hear him say. Things like people getting healed and good news being proclaimed to the poor and the oppressed being lifted up. But he didn't, you know, John, don't be mad at us. You know, don't, don't shoot the messenger. He, he didn't say he was the Messiah. He just said some of the stuff he's done. And could I suggest to you that he experienced the same joy in that moment that he did when he heard the voice of the mother of Jesus. I think it's in that moment where John the Baptist experiences joy 2.0. Where he didn't need to hear, yes, I am the Messiah. Go tell John the Baptist that I, Jesus Christ, am the Messiah. When he heard what was being done, John the Baptist would have been aware of the fact that he was indeed the Messiah. And it would have been at the voice of the proclamation of the Christ that John the Baptist experiences joy 2.0 while in jail and is experiencing what I would like to present to us this morning as joyful suffering, which are two words that do not go together, (laughs) and are two words that don't make sense, and they have different definitions, and they compete. But for us, they work, because it says, joyful suffering says, that our present circumstances can be not ideal, but we can still experience joy. Our present circumstances can be not ideal, but we can trust and believe that God is still doing something, and he's still active and present and at work somewhere. But what this requires of us is to have a vision that is way, way larger way larger than just me, immediate environment, commute to and from work or volunteering or caring for others, and then that's it. We have to have a vision that is way bigger than that. We need to be able to have a vision that can look at a situation, a family, a household, a headline, and see not so good things, but at the same exact time be able to say, but that doesn't mean that God isn't here. That doesn't mean that God isn't doing something. 
And that doesn't mean that something good won't come from this. John the Baptist is able to experience joyful suffering because he knew what the report of his disciples meant. Because you got to keep in mind, John the Baptist was the one who in the wilderness, eating locusts and honey and whatever else, he was the one who said that this kind of stuff was going to happen. And so he is able to experience a joy, a joy that says, God is who he says he is. John the Baptist is able to experience a joy while in prison, a joy that says, God said that he would send himself to dwell among us, and he did. John the Baptist is able to experience a joy in prison, a joy that says, we are going to start seeing a turn of the tide. Widows are going to get more attention. The oppressed and the marginalized are going to be lifted up. And we are going to hear a fulfilled law that says, if you're at the top, you might end up at the bottom. <laughs> and if you're at the bottom, you might end up at the top. Which is good news for us today. But that kind of good news sometimes doesn't seem like good news. So the shepherds that we'll talk about next week who end up visiting Jesus. So shepherd was like not a good job that you wanted. And I find it really great that it was the shepherds that were like one of the first people to hear the announcement. If you know the story at all, shepherds in a field, angels, boom, like 4th of July maybe. And uh, hey, he's born, he's here. That was good news to the shepherds. Now, did that mean that all of the shepherds got a million denarii <laughs> and they got better jobs and houses and if any of them had like injuries that they were like, no, that's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is that God has spoken over creation and God has said, this is what my kingdom looks like. The forgotten are going to increasingly start being found. And the ones who have been denied and neglected are going to now increasingly start becoming adopted and received and welcomed. This is the good news. Um, adoption is a very real part of, of some of our stories um, in a very real and tangible way. A Haitian resident is among us. Um, 
but we have all been adopted as well. We've been adopted by one who reigns, but dwells among us as well. And that's a good and beautiful thing. So as far as our response goes this morning, um, I would, well, I guess we have to discuss, don't we? We have, we have discussions to do. Yeah, as far as our discussion goes, we ask the same questions. What stood out to you? What are you going to do about it? And how can we help? And, and what we mean there is, um, you know, what are you thinking? What are you going to do? And don't go alone. And those questions are on your table if you forget one of those three. But those are going to be the three going forward because I think it really does spark some healthy conversation. Um, so I would encourage you all over the next five or ten minutes, um, hopefully everyone at your table can, can share what stuck out to them, whether it was one of the prayers that we read or the scriptures that we read earlier, a lyric of a song, um, something that we read in the scriptures, something that I said, and whatever's sticking out to you, receive that as maybe you're being talked to by, by, your, by your God, and it would be good of us to share those things. Um, and then just work through that list. Share as much as you'd like. Don't share as much as you wouldn't like, and let's be good listeners, and this is the time where I think growth really does take place. So Let's lean into this conversation for about five or ten minutes, and we'll keep moving. Thanks. Hey, friends, we'll go ahead and uh, round back up here. <clears throat> Thanks for uh, being willing to share with one another. Hopefully, you did some learning and as you shared and listened. Um, if I could offer, so that, that one question, what are you going to do, if I could offer two suggestions and I didn't think of either of these. Um, the first suggestion, and once again, we're talking about, I think broadly, how can we practice joyful suffering? How can we at the same time experience suffering, but experience joy as well? So how can we accomplish this? And you might have thought of some things that are good, good things, and probably what you thought of is, is what would be good for you to do. Um, if you didn't think of anything, here are two suggestions. I didn't think of either. The first one is find an actual item that can bring about memories. Um, we read about this way in the Old Testament, where after the Exodus, after the, um, the Israelites were able to leave Egypt, parents would put stones outside of their doorways, and every time they came and went from that house, they looked at that stone, and the stone prompted them to go to their children and say, we used to um, have to break these up, and we used to have to carry these, and we used to have to make bricks and we used to have to just do things for a Pharaoh that did not care for us, but the Lord freed us, and now we're free. So, and perhaps that would resonate with you. That resonates with me big time. If you were to go into my office um, at my house and on the mantle, there are a lot of things 
and I could spend like five hours talking about each thing, and there's like 10 things. And uh, maybe that's something that could work for you. An actual item, it could be anything. One of my things is a fragment of a brick. And if you want to know the story there, then ask me. (laughs) But it could be anything as long as it brings up a story. And uh, the second thing that I didn't think of is writing stuff down. And I've encouraged Sister Desiree to do this a lot because she comes to me every other week, says, this is what God is doing. I said, write it down. And so we're, we're starting to write things down. So here's how I did not think of that is that's how we have the Bible. <laughs> People wrote stuff down. And oftentimes, hundreds of years after the things happened, but it was shared story after shared story, and then all of a sudden someone said, we should write this down so we don't forget. And I have things written down as well myself, and these are things, if you allow them to, the next time things go really, really bad, you open up the journal, you open up the Word document, you open up the note app on your phone, you have the piece of paper in your Bible maybe, and you can read the words that you wrote about a time when God was doing some incredible things in your life. Um, Two suggestions. And here's the thing. Um, The answer to the question of what are you going to do in order to start practicing joyful suffering The answer is not start being more joyful (laughs) because good luck, right? And that also is to say that you haven't tried being joyful up until now, (laughs) which is not good either. Um, There are some tangible things that we can do that can develop this rhythm. Having a thing, writing it down, something like that. 